And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to You Irons, the West Ham podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney. I'm joined as always by The Athletic's West Ham correspondent, Rashane Thomas. And right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a week. You can read all of our articles on West Ham and so much more, including ad-free podcasts and Rashane's recent article on Mikel Antonio's hopes for a new contract. Go to athletic.com slash West Ham pod and sign up for just one pound a week. That's athletic.com slash West Ham pod. So, Rashane, let's kick off with, with your piece uh, that you did on Friday about Antonio and his situation. He's so crucial to the team right now. Um, what's his situation? Absolutely, Sam. He's an important player for West Ham. And his situation right now is contract expires at the end of the season. In July, the Athletic revealed that West Ham have the option to extend Antonio's contract by a further year, but it's believed the preference now is to discuss a long-term deal. Antonio right. wants a four-year contract, and talks are likely to take place in December, January. And Antonio actually wanted to negotiate a new contract earlier this year, but talks were postponed due to West Ham's financial position changing and with the pandemic. And it's something I previously mentioned. Antonio was really happy at West Ham. He can see himself retiring at the club. Those close to him say it's the happiest he's been for quite some time. He's enjoying playing on the Moyes, as in the region of 70 grand a week. And considering the sort of transformation he's made on the Moyes, I definitely think he deserves a four-year deal and one last payday. He's 30 years old. He's got, um, he wants four years. Now, the way that he has played for West Ham, particularly over these last six months, but I think ever since he joined the club, is, has been incredible. I mean, he's got to go down as one of our best signings of the last 10 years. To to pick up someone like him from Nottingham Forest, I don't, I can't remember how much it was, but it wasn't huge money. Um, he's played in several different positions. He's rarely moaned. He played himself into the England squad once or twice. Um, he's been our top scorer on at least one occasion. Um, maybe twice actually last season was the second time he scored crucial winning goals against Tottenham on more than one occasion and other big matches and and that was all before this transformation this renaissance he's had in the last six months where he's become absolutely crucial to the extent and we'll get on to this that all the conversations amongst West Ham fans at the moment are what on earth we can do while he's out of the team injured so it's a fantastic time for him to be negotiating a contract in that sense because everyone will want him to stay at the club. However, always worth looking at it from David Sullivan's point of view, which um, you know we, we as West Ham fans will rarely agree with. But I just worry, Rashane, that, that Sullivan will look at it more coldly and think, here is a player who does have a history of injuries, right? At 30, it's unlikely he's going to improve. I would say he's hit his peak now. Long may that continue. Is he going to get better than he has been? Well, that'd be quite a big ask because he's so good. Um, it'd be hard to improve. But at 30 years old, I can't see him being better at 32, 33 or 34. Plus, as we see at the moment, you know, you have to accept that there will be periods where Antonio nurses an injury, very often that hamstring that is obviously susceptible. 
And so if he's looking for a pay increase and a four-year contract, I just worry that David Sullivan might be looking at the practicalities and thinking, well, it seems like a good idea now when he's firing all cylinders, but where does it leave us in a year's time if he has another long-term injury and we're paying him big money? Do you think that could be a stumbling block? I agree, but I sort of look at it from, from this perspective that players like Antonio are what I consider to be late bloomers. Everything sort of clicks around the age of like 28 and then they sort of hit, reach their peak at 30. So you say you're not sure if he can still do it at 32. I reckon he can still do it at 32 in all honesty. And I have that much confidence in Antonio. The only issue is the hamstring. Go the hamstring injury, hold up. That's why, just taking my reporter hat off, I think something like a three-year deal with one-year option, I think that would make much more sense than this off him straight four-year deal. That's the only worry with Antonio. Last season, he suffered that hamstring injury in the cup game at Newport County. He was out for about four, three months, I believe. This one isn't too bad. It's believed to be up to four weeks and he should be back after the international break him, in all honesty. So... It's the one thing you worry about Antonio moving forward and I can see why the board will be like, hey, you've been great for us. You've been an important player. To an extent, you're pretty irreplaceable, but four years, it's a bit too much. I mean, in some ways, it, you know, to take just the, the completely cold, hard business sort of perspective out of it, you know, a lot of, a lot, I mean, I would say, I'm sure you'd agree and most of us stand fans would agree that do you know what? We just owe the bloke a four-year contract. <laughs> consider <laughs> consider that from the time we bought him, we bought him the same summer that we brought in Lanzini, Payet, I think a, a number of other players arrived. It was it was Bilic's first summer and they invested fairly heavily and he was kind of arrived quite late. And because the big signing seemed to be Payet, there was a little bit of a shrug about the other about the other players. I oh, yeah, heard of that guy vaguely from the championship. He's outlived those signings. We've seen players come and go since, whether that be Anatovic or Felipe Anderson or Chikorito. You know, big marquee signings who, who've come and gone, had flashes of, of good times, but then disappeared and things gone wrong. This guy has stuck with us year in, year out. He's had injuries. He's had periods where he couldn't make the first team. He's had periods where West Ham fans have been slating him. I mean, people were quick to forget that, but there was a lot of West Ham fans who slated him before. And I, I would say to West Ham fans listening, to like, well, just, you know, let that be a lesson to all of us because there are various players who I think are, are loyal servants to the club and really deliver when the chips are down, who go through bad periods of form, whether that's to do with injuries or fitness or morale or stuff you don't even know about that's going off the field. And... The speed with which some West Ham fans jumped saying, he's a disgrace, he's useless, I never want to see him in the team again, right? <laughs> is absolutely incredible. You know, we talked last week about Aaron Cresswell. Aaron Cresswell, similar story, a player who came in many years ago, not for big money, a championship signing, not particularly auspicious, and he's been a loyal servant to the club. He's, at the moment, arguably, in some of the best form of his career in a new position, you know, but five minutes ago, people are saying he's a disgrace, he's finished, he shouldn't be anywhere near the team. People have said that before about Antonio. When Antonio suffered from an injury, came back and spent periods where he wasn't quite his buccaneering all-action self, people were slating him. And um, it's, it's such a shame, isn't it? It really is. And a player like Antonio, you have to remember, he's pretty much played everywhere for West Ham. 
played right yeah. back, right wing, left wing, probably left back at one point. He's played yeah. everywhere, and that's how centre unselfish forward, he is. Centre-forward, yeah. like just off the centre-forward, the lot. I mean, I think centre-mid and centre-back goalie, those are the only three <laughs> he hasn't done yet. <laughs> yeah. Although he does <laughs> effectively play centre-mid sometimes because yeah. he's always right there, isn't he, dropping back yeah. into the action. Exactly, and, and again, it shows Antonio putting the team first. The amount of players we've signed over, over the years, it's like, you know, it's me, I'm in the team. And Antonio's like, no, it's a team, and then everything else comes after that. Another thing I want to I add is, I, I believe it was an interview with the club's website. Antonio said he gets some really well fornals and he's trying to learn Spanish. Mm, yeah. He's trying to learn Spanish. I mean, again, it just shows Antonio going That's out of sweet, his way. That's sweet, isn't it? To make, yeah, to make, you know, teammate, you know, feel settled. And it's important to have players like that in the dressing room because in football, especially in this area, there's so many big-time Charlies. There's so many big-time Charlies in football, but you have someone like Antonio who's such a likeable guy. He does like the community work for the club, gets some more of staff behind the scene, gets, he's, well, you can tell he's popular in the dressing room as well amongst the teammates. And you want to have that sort of player at West Ham moving forward, someone who's going to help young players, you know, give them advice. So, yeah, as you touched on, an important player and he's turned it around. Yeah, well, I would love to see Antonio lead the team out at some stage. I mean, you know, he's got the experience. I would hope he'd got the respect in the dressing room. He certainly strikes me as a very charismatic individual that I would imagine is po is a popular figure because um, he's always got that kind of good humour about him, hasn't he, with his sort yeah. of legendary goal celebrations. He yeah. seems like a positive guy. And, yeah, Rice is a fantastic captain. And, and thankfully, at the moment, we've got a number of different leaders in the team. I think Ogbonna, Cresswell, then you've got, um, on the bench, you've got Nob still who's club captain. But I think one of these days, Antonio deserves to lead the team out. You know, wear the armband for a game or two. You know, I'm, I'm talking about if Rice isn't available and so many others aren't. Because I think, you know, he's earned that status in the club. It's been a long time he's been there. What are the signs? Are the signs good in terms of this four-year contract? Do you, do you have any rumours or whispers about that? Yeah, well, those close to him believe talks will take place around December, January time. And they're very optimistic that, you know, he will be offered the four-year deal. Mm. The only thing is that we're a bit cautious at the fact that because West Ham have the one-year option, we're hoping that they wouldn't trigger it. But as I mentioned, both sides are of the opinion that the, the one-year option is not on the table. It's about discussing a long-term deal. It's just a case of whether, you know, it'll be a four-year deal. But at, at the minute, at the present moment in time, it's very encouraging that he will be offered uh, a four-year deal. The other thing to say about it is, is that, you know, he could... In the form of his life at the moment, right, once he's back to fitness, if he carries on playing the way he's been playing the last six months, this, a lot of players would look at it more cynically. I mean, this is my last chance of a big move and a payday that goes with it. Because, of course, if you move clubs, not only can you match or better your wages, you also get your big signing on bonus as well. And so him and his agents could be thinking much more cynically and thinking, right, we've done our time at West Ham. We've done five years. We've given them a lot. But to be fair, now's a great time for us to leave or run our contract down because 30, this is your last chance of getting a decent move. He could move to another Premier League club. I would say probably like, you know, a, a Premier League mid-table club would, would love to have him. There's plenty of those with money to spend. Um, he could go abroad. He could go to America. You know, he could do that. And financially it would probably be more beneficial for him to move right now or let his contract run down or try and get some sort of transfer fee in January. So I think, again, that shows great loyalty and a great love for the club, which, you know, which is, is, is a rare thing nowadays and we should treasure it when we've got it. 
Yeah, it really is. And I reported in July that there was previous interest from Wolverhampton Wanderers and Real Sociedad, the mm. the, 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 league, the league club. And Antonio was loyal. <laughs> he was loyal. Yeah. He didn't try and force a move. He was happy at West Ham. And hey, again, it, it just it just adds more, you know, more reasons to why he does deserve a long term deal at the club. Being loyal, been playing great as you touched on earlier. Got called up to England squad on two occasions. Unfortunately, to miss out on a cap because of a hamstring injury. Yeah, I mean, he should he should really be in the England squad now. I mean, if 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 you're basing it just on form, we've talked about this before. He should be in England squad. And by the way, when I said, oh, you know, he could go move to a mid table Premier League club. You know, I didn't mean to be sort of damning with faint praise by that. I'm of the opinion that he could actually, you know, do a job for any club in the Premier League right now because we've seen he he causes problems for any defence in the league right now. If I was Manchester United or Manchester City, right, and people were thinking, you know, we're struggling here, we need someone at least on the bench who can come on and do something for us, you know... Antonio's a sort of plays a sort of a wild card that any club and you know England too, you know could do with at least on the bench. Um, but hopefully he's not going to be playing for anyone other than us. If he if he plays for England, I'll be happy for him. But yeah. you know, like most fans now, I'm not bothered about England either. Just way. on that subject of England, I didn't mention it in the piece, but those close to him they believe an England chance is no longer realistic for Antonio. Mm. You see, Tammy Abraham, Dominic Calvert Lewin. And all the young Harry Kane, Danny Ings, all the, you know, that, that area in particular strikers, there's so many options. And because of Moises, not, sorry, not Moises, Gareth Southgate's preference to play younger players, yeah. it's going to count against Antonio, unfortunately. I, I, think that, I think, you know, listen, that, that South, that's Southgate's strategy. At least he's got one. At least he's got a vision. Um, you know, if, it was, if, if he was seriously trying to claim that Tammy Abraham was playing better than Michael Antonio at the moment, I'd be worried. But I suspect that he'd say, well, it's not really just about form. I'm trying to build a long-term squad and I could pick Antonio now, but it'd be completely short-term. Um, so, you know, it's a shame It's a shame for him. It's a shame for him, but at least he'll always have those squad call-ups. Um, well, we'll keep an eye on that. And um, um, and just quickly, any any latest on the injury? What we're we talking about, four weeks is, is, is what people seem to think. Yeah, up to four weeks. So, obviously, he missed the game against Liverpool and missed the game against Fulham this weekend. So, he should be back after international break. That's when I uh, think he'll be fine. So, so we're only gonna miss, he's going to miss a couple of games, basically. Yeah. So, Not nowhere near as, as bad as initially feared. We've had some questions coming in from the listeners. Thanks for those. And we're, we're going to address those in a short while because, obviously, a huge amount of them will relate to the situation up front as seen in our Liverpool performance. So let's quickly talk about a story that appeared in The Athletic um, this week that Chelsea retain an interest in Declan Rice and might even come back for him in January. Is this something we should be worried about, Rashane? Well, it was my colleague Simon Johnson who reported on a story on Monday that Chelsea are hoping Declan Rice ignores any contract office from West Ham as they hope to sign him in January. As we know, Rice was wanted by Chelsea in the last window. And Chelsea didn't make an offer for him because they're unable to sell players to get the required funds. I personally believe West Ham fans should have no reason to to fear that the club will sell him in January. West Ham are in a strong position. Rice's contract expires at the end of the 2023-24 season and the club have the option to trigger a one-year option. So, and obviously, if you look at West Ham on the field right now, doing well, making good progress. Rice has always mentioned he's enjoying it under David Moyes. Team's making really good progress. And... What what sense would it make for West Ham to sell one of their best players in January? 
if we were to sell Declan Rice, it would make much more sense, and I hope it doesn't happen, but if it does happen, it would make much more sense for him to, to go next summer after the European Championships. Because naturally, by then, a player's value increases when you have a good tournament. So if West Ham are looking at the option of selling Declan Rice, it would make much more sense to do it next summer as opposed to doing it in January. Yeah, I mean, no one likes to sell in January. Doing business in January is very hard. I suppose the... The the only problem could arise is if, if Chelsea actually go formal with their interest, make an initial bid and make it clear to Declan Rice that they're serious, then there is big potential for Declan Rice thinking to himself, well, it's not ideal, I'd rather move in the summer. But football careers are short, they're fleeting, they're um, very unpredictable because of injuries and so forth. Could this be my only chance to join the club I supported all my life and play under the management of my hero, Frank, uh, Frank Lampard. I mean, this is a, you know, I mean, I, I say it through gritted teeth because none of us like Chelsea. That goes without saying. But if you're a born and bred Chelsea fan, and I don't doubt that Declan Rice loves West Ham, you know, you don't, you don't have to, you, you don't have to be an expert to see that. You just can see it in the way he plays. But, but we have to accept that, you know, that must be appealing to him. And if an offer comes in, ultimately, whether a club want to sell or not, if the player says he wants to go, then the club usually end up having to do the best deal they possibly can with with the people trying to buy him. Um, I don't think there's a high chance of that happening, but it is a potential scenario. And we have seen that happen with other players, haven't we, at other clubs? Yeah, that is correct. And you say to play under Lampard, you're also forgetting the fact that Rice could reunite with his best friend, Mason Mount. Mm. That's, a, that's another thing that could happen. But again, I, I really don't think it's likely West Ham will sell in January. Honestly, don't think it's, it's, it's going to be, you know, something that West Ham fans should look at and think, oh my goodness, he's going to go. Like, West Ham are in a strong position. As I mentioned, his contract expires at the end of the 2023 20, 24 season. That's a good, what, four years? So, and plus, they have the option to trigger a one year option. So, West Ham on a strong position. It's not as if... The good thing about last season is West Ham staying up because if West Ham had gone down, it would have been inevitable that, you know, Rice would have been sold. And he would have been sold on the cheap. Yeah. I mean, the uh, thing is, if, if if Rice leaves at some point, which we have to assume he will at some point, because, you know, frankly, most West Ham fans know he is the best player in his position in the Premier League right now. And he's got to be one of the best players in his position in Europe right now. And we are, at best, a mid-table Premier League club right now. That's what we aspire to be come the end of the season. He's going to have to end up at a Champions League side at, at some point or another. Um, and, yeah, but if he does leave, you you want him to be leaving for a, for a record fee, for at least a, a British record fee, if not a world record fee. And that, to me, if he carries on the, the sort of trajectory he's on at the moment in terms of his progress... That's, you know, that is not beyond the realms of possibility. He, he's turned in great performances for England. He's been, what's really impressive to me is that against Manchester City and Liverpool, the two biggest, best clubs in the country, uh, two weeks running, he has been dominant and impeccable in both games, arguably our best player in both games. Um, you know, this is not a flat track bully of a player. This is not a player who can dominate against the, the smaller clubs. He's going up against massive Champions League sides and he is really holding his own. And I, I would say in most cases, 
is proving the best midfielder on the pitch. Because in, in both games, I thought we were reasonably unlucky. thought we could have got three three points against either of those teams. Um, we certainly held our own. Um, we were undone by a uh, by their attack, really. I mean, we'll get on to the Liverpool game. But I wouldn't say that Liverpool were able to take many liberties with West Ham in midfield in the game the weekend. And that, that's Declan Rice. I mean, you know, he, he is... I mean, I would say probably the closest comparison I've seen in my lifetime would be Brian Robson, right? Um, and I would say, you know, Brian Robson scored more goals, but I don't doubt that Declan Rice is going to add that to his game at some point as well, is that we're going to see him pop up. If he gets a little bit more freedom in the side, I think we'll see him pop up with goals as well. And I think that, you know, he's a player who could go for £100 million within the next couple of years. But on Sam, you, you say Brian Robson, I reckon Declan Rice is the better version of Owen Hargreaves. Well, yeah, I think, I think that's he's the, a good like, comparison. The, yeah. the better version of Owen Hargreaves. And prior to the Man United game towards the latter stages of last season, I asked David Moyes how he intends to keep Rice. And that's when he gave me that brilliant line that it will take the Bank of England money for, mm. any, to, for any door to happen. So that's like, you know, West Ham are like, listen, we're not selling this guy on the cheap. He's so important to us. 21. Declan Rice is only 21 and look how good he is. Oh, that's and incredible. He's nowhere near his prime. Well, the, the, the thing about it is really, is we're talking about Antonio's contract. If we want to one day get that, if we, if we accept that one day he will leave and we want to get record fee for him, we have to get him on a better contract as soon as possible, don't we? I mean, we need to make him the best paid player in the club or at least equal to the current best paid player in the club. So we're talking about a hundred grand a week plus. Um, I know he's, as you said, he's already on quite a substantial contract in terms of its length, but what are the chances of, of Sullivan looking at that in January and saying, do you know what? Tear it up. We're going to give you something better. Not even January. At, at this moment of recording the podcast, um, West Ham are trying to, trying to, you know, offer Declan Rice a new deal and try to increase his rage and make him one of the high earners. Declan Rice earns in a region of 60000 a week, which is less than Andre Malenko and Felipe Anderson. So that definitely needs to be improved. And hence why Chelsea are like, you know, they're hoping that Rice ignores any contract offer so yeah. they can try and come in for him again in January. So, so yeah, as, as you touched on, he's an important player for West Ham. I can't remember the last time I watched a West Ham game, I was like, Rice had a terrible performance. No. That, that's been so rare. It's there was one game. Do you know what? There was one I game. Think, was it against Tottenham? If I'm no, not mistaken. it wasn't. It was against... Newcastle first game of the season. That's it. That's the one. But he was knackered. And <laughs> everyone knew that. I remember you said that at the time he'd come back from England yeah. and he hadn't had sufficient time to prepare. He'd been involved in very few of our pre-season friendlies and he just wasn't quite at it yet. Yeah. And people, he got a bit of a slating from some people, but most people will cut Declan Rice a lot of slack. Yeah. And uh, it took him one game. Next game. Against Arsenal, he was great. And he's just been great in every game since then. Yeah. Um, there's no holding the fella back. Uh, and, and I also fully expect him to be England captain one day. I mean, I just think that's an inevitability. I agree. And the one thing I really like about Rice is, in his current role as deputising as captain for Martin Noble, he's just been such a great leader. Yeah. That comeback against Tottenham, the way he inspired the guys to keep yeah. keep going, keep keep persevering. And usually after uh, after matches, it's always, well, yeah, quite often now, it's Declan Rice who speaks to the media. 
and he speaks so well. He's never he's incredible. Yeah. Oh, it really is. Like we could do a whole podcast and just on, on Declan Rice yeah. being a great leader. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, you know, to be honest, we almost start doing that, but uh, you know, no one can blame us. Luckily, this is only aimed at other West Hamers. Yeah. Remarkably, to me, there are other. Uh, fans who seem to be unconvinced by his quality but do you know what that suits me fine I don't care everyone will learn it's not like we're you know we're not the sort of fans West Ham fans are not the sort of fans who blindly you know uh, eulogise about their own players there are clubs like that I'm you know from my experience a lot of Arsenal fans will always consider whoever in, in any given position in their club they consider they, they kind of blindly refer to like if, if Bellerin is their right back, they go, well, obviously Bellerin is the best right back in the world. And they could go through the team saying that, right? Um, I don't think West Ham fans are like that. In fact, I think, um, or great attendance seems to be overly critical of their players. But I also think, you know, we've seen enough great players come through from our academy over the years, more than most clubs. And so I would say long-term West Ham fans are very experienced in spotting ones who have the potential to go all the way. And to me, Declan's the best there's been since Rio. I mean, I saw Rio on his debut. I saw him grow all the way through the team. Rio was obviously a brilliant player in the making. But for his first season or two, he also was a liability who would make mistakes. And But people accepted it because they could see he was going to be great. And they knew he was young. They thought, oh, well, never seen that from Declan Rice. Declan Rice has just gone, he skipped that bit where you have to make a few mistakes for a few years and just was came straight in, hit the ground running. And that's why West Ham fans go on about him so much is that we know we've seen other players. We've seen Joe Cole and Michael Carrick and Frank Lampard and all these world-class players come through and we've seen them at the same age. So we've got that comparison and we can see that Declan Rice is a match for any of those players. Absolutely right, Sam. And again, just touching on, uh, you know, Rice being a leader. When Harrison Ashby made his debut against Charlton Athletic, it was Rice was like, congratulations, you know, more to come. It's, you know, that's what you want to see. And you touched on Rio Ferdinand struggling initially. So did Rice to an extent. I think it may have been against um, Arsenal or one of the other big six teams. And he said in an interview that David Moyes absolutely criticised him in front of everyone at half time. Sort of the hair dry treatment you expect for Ferguson to give his players. That's what Moyes done to Declan Rice because he knew he was good. He just wanted to have his best intentions at heart. And look, look at how he's improved ever since then. So, and one more thing that's going to tell you rumours. If I'm Rice, I'm a bit cautious going there for the simple fact it's been reported quite a few times now that they see him as a centre back. And it's good that Rice can play there, but we both touched on numerous occasions that this guy is one of the best holding midfielders in the country, if not Europe. That's his position moving forward. So that's one of the reasons why I'll be a bit cautious and reluctant to go to Chelsea if I was Rice. Again, we will keep an eye on the Rice contract situation. I'm sure if there's anything to report, you'll hear it on The Athletic first. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's talk about the Liverpool game. There's been a lot of chat about that since Saturday um, on on Twitter from West Ham fans. Uh, overall, your verdict on our performance? I thought the performance was was relatively decent, to be fair. 
I feel like ultimately the turning point was um, was uh, the Mo Salah penalty. Uh, I feel like he's, he exaggerated contact after the match. Moyes was well within his right to be annoyed by it because it, it changed the game. But prior to that, I thought West Ham done a very great, a very good job in keeping Liverpool's front three quiet and Firmino, Mane, and Salah. I thought he done a very good job, and then that just changed the game because after that Liverpool had the momentum. So it was a great shame because. West Ham had a great chance to build on, you know, the promising results from previous matches. I just felt like for that one decision sort of, you know, sort of ruined West Ham's mojo. I think that we were completely in control of the game until that penalty. They hadn't had a shot on goal. I was fairly confident that we had a decent chance of getting a second on the break. They looked a bit toothless, to be honest. Um, and I think... It's hard to say it wasn't a penalty because the way penalty decisions are going now and the way the rules have changed, you know, he made contact in the area. As far as I understand it, although it's hard to understand it fully, that is a penalty, whatever way you look at it. However, for me, it was a dive, right? It was a dive. It was not in, let's say, the spirit of the game. In the law of the game, did the ref get it right? Yeah, if the ref hadn't given it, I don't think there would have been too many complaints from Salah. He would have thought, oh, well, worth a try, you know. Um, so that was a real turning point. However, second half, you know, it was, I still thought, until they got their second, I still thought I was confident. And and this is what's different watching West Ham at the moment, is that you're watching a game. And I didn't go into that game hopeful or confident, but I was optimistic. I was positive, let's say. I felt positive about it because I thought, we might not win, we might not draw. But the main thing is, I think we're going to go and hold our own and, and you know, put in a performance, actually give them a match that they've got to think about. How many times, Shane, over the years, have we seen us go to clubs, big clubs, especially up north, and just sort of accept it, just accept that we're going to roll over. I mean, yeah, Allardyce used to sometimes rest players for those games. We've had, <laughs> yeah. we've had managers who rest players because they think, well, you know, we're not banking on that as a as a game where we need to get a point from. That's a point, that's a game that you write off. And it's so depressing. It's so depressing to be a fan having to watch a team go somewhere and not really try. Because even if you argue, well, they're saving themselves for a more winnable game at home next week, the thing is, football is so much about confidence, isn't it? And mentality. And if you've just taken a spanking from a Liverpool or a Man City or a Man United or whatever, and you've had to have, you've played in a game where four or five goals have been put past you, after that, you might have Fulham the following week, right? But you're going to go into it in a really negative state of mind because you can't just write that off. If you've been spanked on TV, then that's going to have an effect on your mentality going into the next game. So I've never understood that. To be honest, it's the rule rather than the exception. That is the way West Ham approach big games traditionally over the years. And I just feel against Spurs, City and Liverpool, in all three games we could have won them. In all three games we gave them a very serious match that they really had to fight to win. Liverpool got a lucky pen. I thought their second goal was actually very good. And I thought, you know, they were going to have to do something very good to break through our defence. And actually they did. It was a very quick kind of smash and grab goal. Point would have been fair. Don't think three points would have been completely unfair if we'd got them. But in the end, you sort of think, oh, well, 
We've lost to Liverpool. It's a shame, but the performance is extremely encouraging. For sure. Just touching on the second goal, I actually felt that, that was Liverpool's second goal. That is, I felt like Valimir Kafal could have done better to track Jota's run. Yeah. I felt like he passed him way too easily for that goal. Yeah. I saw uh, Rob Bonner have a bit of a go at him, actually. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. I saw you sort of raise his arm off like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, on. yeah. And uh, after the match in Moyes' press conference, he said, it says a lot that, you know, we're disappointed that we didn't we didn't get a draw or win from this match. And just touching on what he said, it just got to show, you know, the, the sort of mindset that's changed with the players now. They're not coming into these big games thinking, oh, we're going to get steamrolled here or oh, it's going to be like a 5-0 defeat. They're going thinking, we can win. We can we can get a result here. And obviously we're touching it late in the podcast. It's, it's now a case of where that sort of mindset being very similar to the games against the likes of Fulham, the Aston yes. Villa, the Sheffield United. Because... For whatever reason, West Ham struggle in those matches. I don't know why. I really don't because on paper they're winnable matches. I'm not saying easy three points, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be hard because yeah. you know the players yeah. West Ham have at our disposal. So I think mentality. When you know, as you know, because I think I talked about it before, but I became an obsessive fan of the All or Nothing Tottenham Hotspur series on Amazon over the summer. Uh, mainly because Jose Mourinho is such an entertaining TV presence, right? Especially when he forgets the cameras are watching, right? Which he, which I think they did because they weren't cameramen. They were just cameras rigged up around the club. And that is why players and, and the manager sort of were completely unguarded at times. Very funny. But the main thing that he seemed to drum into his troops, and like him or hate him, he obviously knows a bit about coaching, Um was mentality. He said it again and again. He said, nothing is more important than mentality. Tactics, you know, technique, uh, physical strength and fitness, that's all one thing. But your mentality is the number one thing. And he kept talking to him about it. He kept talking to him about, if you go a goal down, ignore it. Don't let it affect your mentality. And I've thought about that a lot because he, he expresses it so convincingly. And you look at this team now and you think the mentality is completely different to what it was 12 months ago when Pellegrini was still in charge, when the players looked unfocused, some of them looked indifferent, they looked unsure about what the um, about what their roles were, what their jobs were. And crucially, there were several games where we started very positively, then went a goal down and effectively from that moment just gave up, let our heads drop. It's all about mentality. Now you think you got David Moyes, and we talked about these these coaches um, loads, but with Stuart Pearce and Kevin Nolan and Alan Irving, these players, these these coaches, you know, these are these are natural born leaders and winners, and you just can't see players going out with anything other than a t- a, what, what I call a tigerish mentality, Rache. That's so true. And in one of Jared Bowen's uh, interview with West Ham, he actually said it all stems from training because places are up for grabs right now. Players know they can't play rubbish in training and still get a starting level. Like everyone has to be on, on, give it 100%, 110% even. So the right mindset is there for the players. The players have that real belief right now, real belief that they can do well. And it also comes comes uh, from Moyes because Moyes is like, listen, I want to build the kind of my vision. I feel like we have... We have what it takes to compete high at the table, as opposed to being, you know, perennial strugglers towards the towards the bottom of the league. So we can, we can, we have what it takes. We can do well. Give us your verdict on Haller's performance on Saturday. All right, I'm going, I'm going to try and be polite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try and be polite. I was really disappointed with Haller there on Saturday. The simple <laughs> fact, simple <laughs> fact that right, Antonio was out with a hamstring injury. 
and it's like you have an opp opportunity to like, you know just show us like why why you should like be the focal point up front and during the 74 minutes Halle was on the pitch he didn't give me any indication that he's, he's the right man to lead West Ham forward up front I didn't get any sign from that obviously I know it's against Liverpool the reigning Premier League champion so in his defence it will be difficult but as we reflect on Halle's time at the club it's the consistency in which he's just always ineffective in matches He's, he's, in my opinion, he's, he's too easy to mark, Sam. He's too easy to mark. Nathaniel Phillips for Liverpool is making his Premier League debut. If you're Halle, you're thinking, I'm going to give this guy a tough, tough game. I'm, I'm better than him. He's not better than me. <laughs> and it was Joe Gomez and, and Phillips who found it relatively easy marking Halle. I was looking at his touch map. He didn't have one touch in the opposition box during the time on the pitch. Not one touch. He didn't even attempt a shot on target. It's like, come on, you got to do more. It's like, I remember you mentioned on a previous podcast that sometimes it feels like West Ham are playing with 10 men whenever Halle's on the pitch. And it really feels like that. His work rate's poor. He walks around like he's not really interested. It's like, you're, you're the record signer for crying out loud. Sh show a bit of fight. Show a bit of determination. Show us why, you know, you should be involved in the starting eleven. And it's just frustrating. It's, and, and my piece is pretty much a case of it's now or never for Halle. If he doesn't grasp the opportunity now, then he will never fully seize his moment at the club. I I basically agree, um, and I, I you know I was very frustrated. I was doing my fair share swearing at, at the telly um, <laughs> when the balls were going out to him, and he, he he doesn't do himself many favors in terms of his demeanor, does he? Because he's got a bit of a sulky expression. It reminds me of Nicholas Anelka actually in terms of the, the Nicholas Anelka always had this expression on his face where he looked pissed off about something, right? And you couldn't quite work out what difference was. He almost always scored, so you, you kind of didn't mind, but. Um, you know, listen, I, I totally agree with everything you said. However, it's always good to sort of play devil's advocate here. And I saw a really interesting thread. I'm trying to look for it now on Twitter so I can credit the guy who wrote it. Cause it was it was really well written. And it was someone put it on Twitter this morning and basically broke down how Haller had played and succeeded at Eintracht Frankfurt uh, season before last and, and how we were playing him now and what a huge difference there was in terms of how we were using him and how... You know, as long as Antonio is out, we should think about seeing as we went to the trouble of spending 45 million on the fella, we should probably think about giving him a chance and tweaking, not completely changing, but tweaking our system to play to his strengths. And I did find it quite convincing. One part of me thinks, listen, mate, you come for 45 million. So if you're asked to do a job, you, you work out how you're going to do it and you give it your best shot, right? Part of me thinks that. But part of me thinks, uh, on the other hand, if we're going to spend £45 million on a player and then play him in, in a completely inappropriate role that doesn't really suit his strengths, then we're the mugs for spending that money. And he has been... It's almost like, because he's a big lad, it's almost like people expect him to play like Andy Carroll, i.e. he can stand up on his own, you can knock balls into him, he can bully centre-backs, right? He can hold it up and he is like a linchpin. But what this thread made the point, it was obviously someone who, who was far more aware of his time at Eintracht Frankfurt than I was, is that Eintracht Frankfurt, that was not the role he played and that we're being deceived by the fact that he is big into thinking that he, he is able to play that role. In fact, when he played up front with Jovic, he was the one dropping deeper. Jovic was the spearhead and he would drop deeper and get involved much more in the build-up play. He's technically good. We've seen before, I mean, I remember how excited you were by his Rabona assist to, I think, Antonio last season, right? So we know that he's capable of dropping deep 
getting the ball and, and playing fantastic through balls and getting assists. But he never really gets to play that because he's isolated up front on his own. Holding the ball up and bullying defenders is, is clearly not his forte. And so part of me thinks, well, if we're stuck with him either way, there's not many other options while Antonio's out. Maybe, particularly when we were at home, particularly we were in a, against the team for the first time in many weeks, we're going to come up against the team in Fulham who are going to want to sit back and defend and try and, you know, they're going to come for the point, really. And we haven't faced a team like that since, you know, maybe Newcastle, first day of the season. Because all the teams we've played since then are teams who would have gone into a game thinking, we're going to try and take the game to West Ham and win this, you know. So it'll be really interesting to see because we are a team that is set, we've got a system now that's well-established and it, we are a team set up for hitting teams on the break. Well, that's not going to be uh, possible against Fulham because Fulham are going to sit back. You can't both sit back, right? <laughs> doesn't doesn't add up, does it? Doesn't yeah. make any scientific sense if you know, both teams sit back. So we're going to have to try and find a way through them. And I just wonder whether or not we've spoken before about how Haller's best performances came in, in a couple of games last season where Antonio has played up front quite close to him. And I just wonder whether the, the switch that needs to be made for this weekend's game against Fulham is perhaps give Fournells a bit of a rest and bring in Yarmolenko, Ben Rama, possibly even Lanzini, to play up there a re much closer to Haller. Again, people think Haller's tall and he's going to get goals from crosses. If we, if we leave him in the middle and get Masuaku and Kufau sending in crosses. But again, I, do, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't think that's the way he necessarily likes to play. I think he likes to have someone around him. So I think you're right. But I think that, you know, against Fulham would be a good good time to sort of say, let's try something else out because our usual system isn't going to be appropriate against Fulham either way. Haller or not Haller, we can't play counter-attack at home. We are at home, aren't we? We can't play counter-attack at home against arguably the worst team in the Premier League. We have to go at them. Therefore, we have to try a different attacking system to the one we've been relying on. So why not play someone up there next to Haller? I actually disagree with you, Sam. I actually disagree. First, first of all, there's absolutely no way I'm dropping Pablo, Pablo Fornals when he's right. probably in the best form he's ever been since he's arrived at the club. In brilliant form for West Ham right now. That goal against Liverpool will give him you know, really good confidence. But there's no way I'm changing the system just to just to try and make Alain feel good about himself and to try and, well, as we well, say, get the best out of him. You know, nope, not doing it. <laughs> not doing it. The, the, only, okay, well, the, the only system I think that works in terms of getting the best out of Alice, as, as you mentioned, playing up top with Antonio. That's mm. the only. That's the only games where I've seen, you know, them form a really good partnership. My mind goes back to the the game against Watford last season, the game against Southampton twice, in fact. That's when I thought, okay, they're forming a really good understanding here. You know, the signs that they could build up from something. But this system right now has worked. It's worked for West Ham, and I'm not changing it just to just to try and you know make make Ale try and get the best out of Ale and make him feel good about himself. I'm looking at players like Afi Masuaku, Af Masuaku rather, Aaron Cresswell, Bobby Barbrena, players who struggled at West Ham, all of whom now have turned it around and become key players for West Ham. I'm looking at Ale and saying it's got to come from within. I got to see some determination from from yourself to change your situation. You know, just become a nuisance, become a bully, make it tough. Like you're just too easy to mark. You touched on trying to um, 
player Yarmolenko and Lanzini. We tried it last season, sir, and it didn't work. Tried it yeah. last season and it didn't work. And just touching on Yarmolenko, I think he has much more of an impact from the bench and Lanzini, again, much more impact from the bench. So I'm looking at Alan and say, come on, you, you, you got, you got, I need to see more from you. After the match against Liverpool, I asked David Moyes, you know, with Antonio being out, how do you intend to get the best out of Elena moving forward? And he said, pretty much what I, what I said, but in a nicer way that he's got, he's got to, you know, sh- have some sort of determination to change the situation, play better, chipping with more goals, your director signing, just do, just do a bit more, Sam, do the basics. Okay, if you put Haller to, to one side, I think, you know, listen, what you say, of course, it's hard, it's hard to disagree with you. The, the bloke was, I think, by any, anyone watching that and assessing it would say, he's, you know, he's just not put, enough of a shift in in that game against Liverpool. And considering it was a very close game as well, you do wonder what would have, might have been possible had he just put in an extra 20%. And certainly you wonder what would, be, what would have been possible if Antonio had been playing. But anyway, put that aside. Do you at least think that the system, whoever the personnel are, might need to be tweaked a bit against Fulham because we're going to come up against a team where counter, counter-attacking isn't really going to be an option? I actually think Moyes will keep faith in the team because... As we reflect on a, on a second bow, he very rarely does he change things. He likes to, you know, stick with what he knows. One alternative I mentioned in my piece on Sunday is it would be good to look at Suchek as a deep line target man because mm. it's, some, mm. it's a, a position that Manuel Fellaini also played at Everton and Man United. And yeah. if we were to just tinker with it a little bit, I reckon that would be a good system to try. The same system, but obviously with Suchek playing out of there and you bring Noble back in, back into midfield. That's the one alternative I think could work because Cicek, I mean, he, he runs a marathon in every game. <laughs> he runs a marathon in every game, so he definitely has that work rate. He'll chase after lost causes. He has that that that, that good aerial presence about him, so Moyes could try that. I would say, though, he, he hasn't scored yet this season. The thing about Cicek is we all assume the way we talk about him, oh, he's, you know, he's the sort of player that even fans of other clubs are all trying to get in their fantasy league team, right? Because everyone said, oh, Suchet, he's the new Fellaini, pops up with loads of goals. And it is true that he does, you know, pop up and he's had quite a few opportunities, but he's yet to score. And I, I love the bloke and, and every West Ham fan does at the moment. And I'm sure he will start scoring, but he does need to start scoring. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. We ought to wrap it up. Thanks for your tweets in which people have said, uh, given us their questions. I think that we've covered most of them uh, because most people were asking us our opinions on the Haller situation and what should happen with him in the team for Fulham. I think we've covered that. Thanks for getting in touch. There's a quick one here, though, that I'm interested in your opinion on, uh, Rashane. Uh, Adam um, on Twitter, Top Boy Adam, as he calls himself, 
is said, probably a controversial opinion, but I think Frederick should be playing over Kufau. Thoughts? What do you think about that? Oh, this is a tough one because I feel like Frederick started the season like really well in terms of his, mm. his final pass was really good. The mm. best I've seen it for quite some time, but I still think Kufau's the, the preferred option at right back. He just... It's just his all-round game. Frederick's known for his pace, not so much for his defending, whereas Kofal, not, not so much for defending, but he's he's good defensively and we need that. Barring that, barring Yota's goal against Liverpool, I can't think another time where I've been disappointed with Kofal. So, yeah, I'm still, I'm still sticking with yeah, him. Yeah, I agree. What's interesting is, is that, and this is another reflection of how good the squad's looking at the moment, I think, is that we can have Frederick's on the bench and bring, and effectively bring on a right-back as an attacking option. So if we're struggling to break down Fulham at the weekend, which is very possible, it's the sort of game where I imagine, it, unless we get an early goal, it could be a real war of attrition where they're just trying to defend and hit us on the break. And, you know, it, it becomes more of a struggle as the game goes on in those situations. But, you know, yes, we've got other attacking, we've got Lanzini, Yarmolenko, these attacking players we can bring on. But actually, if you replace Kufal with Fredericks, it's suddenly is asking the opposition a lot of questions. It, it can worry them because suddenly you, you've uh, you've put the fastest player on the pitch into play and they've got to adjust to, to accommodate that and he, and he is much more of a threat. So strangely, you can bring on a defender to actually make yourself more more potent in attack. So that, I think that's quite a positive thing to look at. It is, it is. As we touched on his pace, as defence begin to tire, let's say around the 70 minute mark, because that's where Moyes tends to like bring on uh, mixed changes. And yeah, it could, it could be a secret weapon moving forward. Roshan, it's quite good supporting West Ham at the moment, isn't it? I mean, in comparison to most of the time, let's not get carried away. We've got eight <laughs> points from six yeah. games, right? We've lost more than we've won. But I don't know, doing this podcast at the moment... You just sort of, there's a lot of good positive things to think and talk about. And we should savour that because it doesn't often last long, does it? <laughs> I know. Like, it's just, like, I can't remember the last time things have like been positive at West Ham. Young players getting a chance, mm. you know, right, nice, a good morale, backroom staff doing well. And just touching on the backroom staff quickly, Sam, I want to give a massive shout out to Kevin Nolan because I was at Loughborough University last night and it was absolutely freezing. Oh my goodness, it was so cold. And guess who rocks up? About mm. 20 minutes into Derby County on the 23 versus West Ham on the 23. Kevin Nolan and sits right next wow. to uh, Ricky Martin, the academy director. And there you have it. A member of Moyes' backroom staff there on a freezing cold night in, uh, you know, in, in, in Loughborough watching the youth team you know, monitoring their progress. That's the sort of thing you want to see. I didn't see anyone do that on the Pellegrini. So it's nice to see that. So yeah, I want to give a massive shout out to Kevin Nolan. Good stuff. Good old Kevin Nolan. Who would have thought all those years we, we were slating him when he came and played for Bolton and he was a pantomime baddie to West Ham fans. And, and since then, all these years later, he's not only captained us countless times, scored loads of goals. He's now on the coaching stuff. He's somehow turned himself into a... Uh, 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 something of a club legend. So the strangest things happen in football. Um, until next time, everyone, thanks for listening. Come on, your irons. And as always, there's only one. Samasia Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. 
From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.